Labels. Society makes them. We all wear them. Some labels fit perfect. Some are the wrong size. Some are just plain wrong. Mom said I was a mistake. Dad didn't stick around. I felt lonely, scared, like I didn't fit in. Labels can be powerful, and some labels lie. Only God can give a label that brings hope, confidence, strength, freedom, a new identity, a label big enough to live in. Life gives lots of labels, but there's only one label maker. All right, what's up, Liquid Church? How you all doing? All right. My name is Nathan. I am one of the pastors here. And no, this is not a phaser from Star Trek. But we are actually launching into a new series called Label Maker. But before we jump in, would you just join me welcoming all of our campuses all across New Jersey? Welcome, guys. We are so excited that you're here. Especially those of you that are watching online. New series, Label Maker, because thing is, in life, we all kind of sometimes label one another based on our weaknesses. And so in my hands, how many of you know what this is? A couple of you? All right. This is actually an old school label maker. They made these back in the day. If you're under 30, this is a manual one. There's a little ring here where you kind of go to each individual letter and that way you make your labels. Now, I love label makers. These things are phenomenal. I label everything. In my office, my files are labeled. They're organized. They're categorized so I can better find stuff and, and you know, get more stuff done. Uh, in fact, when I put my clothes away for the season, like winter or spring, I also make labels for them so I know where to find them. And not only that, I also put away my holiday stuff, like Christmas and Easter. I make labels for all those. By the way, a couple of you, you still have your Christmas stuff up. Okay, it's the spring, it's time to put them away, make a label, and you'll be all set. Now, we should make labels for things like that, right? To be more organized, to categorize things. Those are things we should be making labels for, files, uh, clothes, bins. But the problem happens when we start to label people. And we start to label people based on their faults and their weaknesses rather than the content of their character. Now listen, some labels aren't bad, right? Like, for instance, I have labels like I'm a dad, uh, I am a son, I am a father, you know, all these different things. And these are labels I have. I'm a Christian. But there are some labels that we just don't want because they're based more out of our weaknesses. And when we get those labels, they can be powerful, powerful things. Because the thing is, labels have a way of locking us in and then locking out opportunity. Because then the way we see the world, the way we see other people, and the way we see God is determined by these labels. I'll give you an example of a friend of mine. A good friend of mine got a job in this company. He got it through a family friend at the age of 15. He was really young and really immature. And so he would come to work late. He would leave early. He would mouth off to his managers. In fact, uh, as he got older, he would actually show up to work hungover. Like, it was a mess. Yeah, this is him right here. We actually got an image of him. You know, and I go, dude, how are you able to keep your job? But, but somehow he was able to keep his job. But then over time, I think in his mid-20s, something started to go, if I don't, like, do well at my job, I could lose it. And if I lose my job, I can't pay rent. And, and, I'm not, and, and, and this switch flipped in his head. And so all of a sudden, he stopped drinking. He got to work early. He would leave late. He became a really conscientious employee. And then over time, he saw a position that he wanted to move up into the company. As so he talked to his supervising manager, okay, what do I need to do to get there? And his supervisor just told him, forget about it. 
He said, what do you mean forget about it? I mean, I've worked really hard. Listen, you have had such a track record of being irresponsible, lazy, that the only way that the upper leadership sees you as is as a bad hire. That's how they label you. And so my friend, who had this label when he was younger, he outgrew it, but now this was a label that would follow him. Because once we get a label on us, it's hard to take it off, right? It's just stuck with us. And oftentimes, labels that we've been given were given to us when we were quite young. In fact, when you're in your small group, one of the questions you're going to be looking at this week is this, what are the labels you've had to live with? What are the labels that you've had to live with, maybe from a small kid to a young adult or to in your 20s or 30s? And maybe these labels are given to you by family members, by friends, or, or even by enemies. But, you know, oftentimes we get these labels and they're stuck, whether we outgrow them or not. In fact, I remember where I was when I got some of the labels that really defined me. For instance, in high school, I was talking to a friend of mine. He gave me this label. I go, Nathan, i got to be honest with you. I don't really understand you. I go, well, that's okay. I don't understand me either. Maybe you can, you can help me out. And so we're having this conversation. Well, here's what I mean, Nathan. Like, you know, on the one hand, you're like this, you know, Indian kid, and, but you don't really fit in with the really super smart Indian guys, right? <laughs> he, he was a little racist. We're working with him. You know, Grace wins. So, so, you know, you don't really fit there, but, you know, you wear all black. You know, I was 16. You know, my, your hair is long. You get all these heavy metal t-shirts. But you don't quite fit with the metal and goth kids because you're a really nice guy. You're pretty positive. And then you love Jesus. So, so dude, I really think, out of everything, you're, you're, you're kind of a freak. And can I be honest with you? I loved this label at 16, right? There was this band called DC Talk. They had this album. Jesus Freak is like, that's right, man. I'm a freak. What now? I was 16. That was my label, and I, I wore that one with pride. But, you know, over time, you know, there were some labels I got that I'm like, mm, I could have done without that one. You know, in middle school, uh, there was this girl that I was in this play with, and uh, she was just always super nice to me, and we would always have these great conversations. And so, you know, little middle school Nathan developed a crush, you know. And, and so one of these days, I was telling my friends, guys, I, I think I'm ready to tell her that I like her. And so, you know, I gathered up the courage in me, and I, and I went to approach her, and I said, hey, let's just say her name is, you know, Jasmine, I don't know. Jasmine, I just got to tell you, I, I just really, really uh, loved our time together. I really think that, and then all of a sudden she said, stop. I go, what, what do you mean? Listen, Nathan, I, I know where you're going with this. I'm just not interested. Maybe you can't handle this friendship thing. Maybe we should just stop hanging out altogether. And guys, I was... I was devastated. And it turned out later, my friends were telling me that, you know, Nathan, this girl has this reputation where she'll get guys to like her, and then right when they're about to make a move, she'll just kind of break their heart. And this girl had given me a new label, and that label was unattractive. Now, after I got this label, do you think I made any moves on anyone in middle school or high school? No, not at all. Because I just felt like, you know, I don't want to deal with that guilt and that shame anymore. Or the embarrassment of kind of going out on a limb and then getting, you know, my heart broke. But then there was another label I got earlier that really kind of determined and defined kind of my entire school career. You see, in third grade, I went out for Little League. 
And I was like, oh, this is great. You know, my friends play Little League, and, you know, we'll all hang out. And so I went, and, and, I, and, I, and I hit the ball, or I tried to. I kept missing. You know, I was throwing and trying to catch. I couldn't really do that very well either. But, you know, it was fun. And so I went home, and a couple days later, uh, I got this letter in the mail. I was reading the letter and said, Dear Nathan, thank you so much for trying out for Little League. I was like, oh, this is nice. Then I kept reading and said, but we regret to inform you that you didn't quite make the cut. I was like, oh, but you can try again next year. And all of a sudden, I, I, I crumpled this paper up, and I threw it out, and I realized I had been cut from Little League. <laughs> Guys, who gets cut from Little League? I'll tell you who gets cut from Little League. An unattractive, unathletic freak. That's who gets cut from Little League, right? And, you know, from that time on, I never, I never tried out for any more sports in my entire middle school or high school years. And if you aren't really athletic, you kind of get some other labels, right? You get labels like loser, labels like reject, la labels like not popular. And, you know, 20 years later, these labels kind of stuck with me because one of the struggles I have is that I really feel at times really insecure, I struggle with this sense of inferiority. You know, I'll tell people that, and they're, they're kind of surprised. But all the time, in my head, there are these voices saying, Nathan, you're no good. People don't care about you. People don't like you. You're just faking it. They're going to catch you in that. And whenever I have these thoughts, there's a label that kind of comes and, and rules them all, and that's the label of weak. I feel like I'm weak. My name is Nathan. I am an unattractive, unathletic, weak freak. And so, but you know, those are the labels, you know, and these are kind of small weeks, right? But we all have some big weeks, don't we? Weaknesses that dominate us. And, and we live in a culture that's all about exploiting our weaknesses, finding the areas where we're the most vulnerable and kind of smashing them, right? For instance, we have sayings like this, only the strong survive, survive right? Or it's a dog-eat-dog. -dog, or might makes. Right. Right. We have these slogans that reinforce this idea that weakness is something that we have to hide. It's something that we need to pretend that we don't have, but that never erases them. Whether we like it or not, we have weaknesses. I mean, some of us have physical weaknesses. I have a good friend of mine, and she struggles with chronic migraines. And when she gets one of these migraines, she literally has to be in a dark room for 24 hours. And this affects every aspect of her life. It affects who she dates. It affects her job, that she can't work as hard and, and push as long as she'd like. And this is a huge weakness. I have another friend of mine, and she's a mom, and she struggles with fibromyalgia. And it's, it's a disease that kind of makes you fatigued and weak. And she is type A driven. She is go, 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 go. But when it hits her, she's out. She's out. And she struggles because she wishes she could be a better wife to her husband. She wants to be, uh, you know, there for her kids. And she wants to advance in her career. But she feels like as soon as this thing hits, it kind of tears her apart. And she's got nothing left. Physical weakness. It's a real thing. But if they're not physical weaknesses, they're also emotional weaknesses, right? I've got a friend of mine who struggles with anxiety and depression. And, he, you know, he's taking medication for it. He says, Nathan, I have prayed and asked God, God, would you take this away? Would you, would, you, would you remove this from me? And Nathan, I don't understand why God hasn't taken it away. I thought I was a good Christian. I thought I was doing all the things I was supposed to do. But it's still there. Emotional weaknesses, right? And then there's spiritual weaknesses. 
You know, uh, I would be in groups with, uh, with other men, and in their groups, they're, they're just kind of sharing their struggles with lust and saying, Nathan, I, I don't know what it is about me, but, you know, I'm, I'm just there at Starbucks, just kind of waiting for my drink, and, and a beautiful woman walks in, and all of a sudden, I'm thinking these lustful thoughts. And I'm like, no, I, I got to stop doing that, and, and I can't understand why I do it. I hate it. And I keep asking God to take it away, but it's still there. See, we all have weaknesses that we struggle with, don't we? We all have these things that keep us down, that make us weak. And we wear that label, or that label wears us. But what if there's a way where we could actually take these labels off? What if there's a way where we could take these labels and cast them aside and move on? to remove them and have healthier labels on us. Maybe label ourselves the way God sees us and live out of those labels. We're going to look at a way to do that in the book of 2 Corinthians. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 7 to 10. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You can follow along with me on the screen here. And as we kind of move through this, let me give you a little bit of background. You see Paul, who's written large portions of the New Testament, is writing this letter to believers in the city of Corinth. And in this letter... He's essentially kind of telling them about this experience he had. He was praying one day, and then Jesus actually showed up, picked him up, and took him to heaven. I mean, can you imagine, like, one day you're praying, and all of a sudden Jesus just picks you up and says, hey, why don't you come hang out with me? And so Paul has this amazing vision and this amazing revelation of the risen Jesus that he's hanging out with, and you'd think Paul's going to want to talk about this, right? Like, I want to hear about this. Like, hey, Paul, what was it like? Well, you know, what, what did Jesus say to you? What TV shows did you guys watch? You know, those are the kind of things, right? But Paul's like, guys, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk to you about just the struggles we have on this planet, the pain that we go through here. I, I want to talk to you about those things. And so Paul says in verse 7, says this, In order to keep me from becoming conceited, probably from this amazing vision he had with Jesus, I was given a what? Thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to what? Torment me. So let me just stop right here. How many of you guys have phrased, heard the phrase, uh, you know, that there's a thorn in my side. Like, you know, that guy is such a thorn in my side. My neighbor, there's just a thorn in my side. It actually comes from this passage here, this idea of a thorn in the flesh. Now, when most of us think of a thorn, maybe you think of like a, a single pricker, like on a rose bush, right? You go to pick a rose, and, oh, there's a thorn there. And, you know, it's a one singular thorn. And the thorn that Paul is talking about that was more like a, like a fish hook, right? It's like a spear that gets into you. It kind of puts a barb in you, and, and it kind of stays there. That's kind of the thorn that Paul is really referring to here. And here's a close-up of it. Here's one right here. This is like called a puncture vine or a goat head. And as you can see, there are dozens and dozens of tiny pins, tiny spikes. And so the idea is that these things actually will get on your, on your skin and you can't get them off or, or, you, or they'll get on your clothes. Like how many of you have ever taken a hike, right? And, and you, you kind of get caught up in like in, this, in these brushes and you got all this stuff on you and you try to take it off. You try to take it off your dog and it gets stuck in your fingers. You're like, ah, I can't get rid of it. This is a similar kind. In fact, in some parts of the country, these things can get caught on bike tires, and they can actually puncture bike tires. These things are brutal. You get one of these stuck in your shoe you get, or in your shirt, it's a whole world of pain. That's this idea that Paul has this thorn in his flesh. It's stuck inside of him. It's sunk. It's, it's needles inside, it's, and, it's, and he can't get rid of it. He can't shake it. But what exactly is Paul talking about by thorn in the flesh? Well, what does he mean by that? Well, some scholars, you know, they like to speculate. They say things like, well, the thorn must be glaucoma. Paul's having a hard time seeing. Maybe it's a physical impairment of his sight. Others say it's more emotional. No, no, you see, Paul was struggling with, with loneliness or, or with regret, with remorse for what he did to all these Christians before he became a Christ follower. But the bottom line is, none of us know 
what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. And the reason for that is this, is we all have a thorn in the flesh, don't we? There's a weakness that we all struggle with, right? That we wish that God would just kind of get rid of, right? That we wish we could go kind of Harry Potter, right? And Expelliarmus, boom, weakness gone, right? Chronic bad Beth, gone, right? Or, or you know, diabetes, gone. Or whatever it is, you know, a learning disability, gone. We wish that God would just kind of take this away. Because what this thorn in the flesh does is it tortures us, doesn't it? It torments us. It tears at us. And we wish, God, would you just remove this? And it strikes again and again and again. You know, I had a friend of mine, and she struggles with this uh, muscle disease. And literally, it is eating away at her muscles. And she is fasted and she's prayed. And she says, God, can you take this away? Because God, soon I won't be able to walk. God, soon I won't be able to swallow. God, soon I won't be able to, to do the things I've normally done. And she's fasted, she's prayed, she's memorized scripture. She says, God, why won't you take this away? How many of you have ever gone to God and said, God, will you just take this away? The pain's too much. And if you've ever said that to God, then you know where Paul is coming from when he says this in verse 8. He says this three times. How many times? Three times. He says, he prays. And he says, I, what? Pleaded. He pleaded. Guys, he's not praying. He's begging. He's got, God, would you please remove this? He says, three times, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. See, this is a, a, the apostle Paul, right? He's the super apostle. He's the guy that would pray for the dead and they'd rise. He prayed for the sick and they were healed. He would cast out demons. And he's going, God, come on, get, use your Holy Spirit tweezers and pull this thorn out. You can do this. I know you can, God. But God doesn't answer him in that way. He doesn't say no exactly, but he says this. Here's what he says. My grace is sufficient for you. For power is made perfect in what? Weakness. So here's the good news, folks. Your weakness gets to play host to the glory of God. Let me say that again. Your weakness gets to be a platform for God's greatness. Who's excited? Wow. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> Who says that? Let's be honest. No one says that, right? No one says that. But here, Paul is asking God to take this away. And Paul's not exactly happy about it. But here's Paul's response. He says this, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my, what? Weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in what? Weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is fascinating to me. Like, what is going on here? Paul is saying, when I'm experiencing emotional weakness, when I'm experiencing spiritual weakness, when I'm experiencing physical weakness, it's an opportunity for me to experience the power of God resting on me. It's an opportunity for me to experience God touching me and healing me and restoring me. Because in our world, right, we understand that weakness means what? It means weak. But in God's world, weak is the new strong. Weak is the new strong. We say that with me? Weak is the new strong. That's right. See, Paul understood that his weakness allowed him to be dependent on God. In fact, Paul knew that he had a struggle with pride, but yet this weakness was something that God used to keep him close to him. It says this, that in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. See, Paul, like the rest of us, struggled with pride. 
it was easy for him to have this attitude of like, you know, God, we've had this great experience. I was hanging out with you in your crib in heaven. Things were great. Why didn't you go help those weak people over there, God? Because you and me were good. But Paul understood that when he had that attitude of independence from God, that made him weak spiritually. But this thorn in the flesh enabled him to lean into God and to stay in step with the Spirit. I know many of you know uh, Pastor Karen. She's actually our pastor of discipleship here at Liquid, and we had a great conversation. She was sharing with me how several years ago she injured her ankle. And uh, she's had surgery. She has had people pray over it, but God has never really healed it fully. And he may not. But one of the things that Pastor Karen was sharing, to, was sharing with me, you know, because she's still asking God to heal it, is that, you know, even though God hasn't healed this yet, you know what this has enabled me to do? It's enabled me to keep in step with God. Now, guys, if you know Pastor Karen, you know that she's a high-capacity leader. Like, you know, she can get the job done. And she is phenomenal. If you've ever spoken to her, man, she knows how, how to speak to your, your heart and your head. Phenomenal leader. But she says, you know, Nathan, I have the propensity to get ahead of God. And, and what this pain in my leg reminds me is I need to slow down and keep in step with the Spirit of God. You see, oftentimes there's a hidden blessing in our weakness, and that's increased dependence on the Spirit. It's increased dependence on God. But you've got to understand, and please listen carefully, God does not send the thorn. God does not send the tormentor into your life. See, there is a tormentor that comes to you and God takes his plans and reworks them to use them for his glory so that you can be a blessing to those around you. But we have one enemy and his name is Satan. Now often when you hear people talk about Satan, it's in some sort of horror movie context or some sort of heavy metal album cover, right? You know, horns, red tail, uh, and all that stuff. But biblically, you know, the Bible kind of strips down this idea of Satan and really says, you know, Satan actually, his name means accuser. Satan is in the business of accusing you, really labeling you. That's essentially what the accuser is. It's he labels you with false labels. He's the enemy of our souls. He's the father of lies. And what Satan loves to do is to find your source of greatest weakness. What he tries to do is find that thorn in the flesh, and he starts to jam on it. He starts to hit it and hit it again and again. And in the moments of your greatest vulnerability, he's right there with you. Now, it's not like in The Exorcist or any of those movies, right, where it's this kind of, you know, extraordinary act. It's, see, the way the enemy works is he's very subtle. He's crafty. And when you're in that moment of weakness, he comes slowly and as a voice speaks into your mind, says something like this. You still struggle with pornography? You've been a Christian for 10 years and you're still struggling with that? Weak. I can't believe it. Fibromyalgia. You're out for five days. Your husband, he's sick of it. Your kids are embarrassed by you. And you think you're going to get further in your career? You're done because you're so weak. <laughs> Stuffing your face again? What's the matter with you? Where's, where's the willpower? You know what your problem is? You're just weak. You're just weak. Your third diet this year? <laughs> oh, what's the matter? You're having a hard time holding a job? Your wife has to work part-time because no one wants to hire you. <laughs> what kind of man are you? I'll tell you what kind of man you are. You're weak. 
And over and over and over again, the enemy exploits our vulnerabilities. He exploits the soft parts of us because he wants to use that to pull us away from God. But when the enemy starts to whisper, when the enemy comes after you, taking your weakness and beating you over the head with it, this is an opportunity for us to say, God, would you be the strength I need in my weakness? God, would you meet me in those places where I am broken? God, would you come upon me? Because weak is the new what? That's right. So you can go to God and say, God, I want to bring with you my vulnerability so that you can make me a victor. Amen? Amen. God, the things that cause me to stumble, God, you say that they're going to be a stepping stone into your strength. Amen? Amen? God, the things that are in me that tear me apart or tear me down, you want to use those things to build me up, strengthen me, to walk in power, not weakness. Amen? That is what your Heavenly Father will do with the weaknesses in your life. He will take your weaknesses, the things that Satan tries to exploit, and he will take them and turn them into strength. That's what God does. That's what he does. Because the truth of the matter is, when we come to God and admit to him our weaknesses, that's when he can give us his provision. When we're able to say, God, here is my weakness, that's when the power of God steps in and steps out and enables us to accomplish what he's made us to do. Amen? Amen. Because only when we're able to say, God, this is where I'm weak, will you come and meet me, will we experience his strength and his power rest on us. Just ask John Mater. John is a guy who's grown up his entire life with a disability that he saw as a major, major weakness in his life. It's caused all sorts of damage and, and, and kind of ruined his confidence, but he's found that through leaning into Christ, God can take our greatest areas of weakness and turn them into strength. Let's watch. I think I deal with uh, uh, the same disappointments people deal with when they don't, uh, don't see things work the way they want them to work, or they don't see God work the way or to the degree that they want God to work. They know he's working, but, but they'd want to see him do so much more. When I was a young boy, I, I lost my hearing. I had uh, some illness, and it involved a high fever, and, and I, I lost about 75 to 80% of my hearing. And, and by the time I was in the first grade, my teachers recognized that I wasn't hearing like everybody else and went through a lot of tests and consequently learned that I'd had uh, a hearing loss that was irreversible. So I'm profoundly deaf, actually. Legally deaf, you might say. At that time, I was equipped with hearing aids and the whole apparatus thing. And as a young boy, that, that to me didn't make sense as I was growing up to kind of be the object of ridicule and not measuring up to everybody else and, and uh, to to think that somehow something was inflicted on me, but God could have stopped, could have changed that. Or he could have uh, had that affliction happen to somebody else, maybe. Um, but it happened to me. I didn't suffer physically. It wasn't that. It was, it was kind of a suffering inside. It was a suffering of really not knowing the purpose for it and wondering if God loved me. And then struggling with people, their reaction to me. And my struggle with that had to do with uh, knowing who I was and, and having an identity issue, knowing where God was with all this and why didn't he change that. I remember praying many times and saying, God, why don't you take this off of me? You can change this. You can change this immediately. Uh, but God never did that. I began to walk with him 
I began to realize that he was going to give me the ability to deal with it and to handle it. And so as I went through school and tried to you know, compete in classrooms where I couldn't hear the teacher, compete on, compete on the athletic field where I couldn't hear the, the signals, couldn't hear the whistle being blown, etc., uh, I began to trust him more to help me where I couldn't do it. And in time, that became the way of life. In time, I learned to speak more clearly. Uh, even today, I can't hear the words that I speak, and so I have to practice speaking. Uh, but I find that he gives me the grace and the strength to do that. It took a lot of time, but in time, I began to look around me and see people that were in worse shape than I was and, and not feel sorry for myself anymore, but realize that maybe I could encourage them. And so that's the, that's the way that began to unfold. I began to see the comfort that God gave me, the help he gave me, and the reliance I knew I could count on when I relied on him, his power would be there to turn around and encourage other people. And for me, that was a difference maker because it, uh, it, was able to, it was me able to say to other people, God can help you do this because I've been there and I'm, I'm experiencing that right now. And I can tell you, you can experience it too. You know, one of the things I love about John's story is, is just how honest he can be about how God has used him in the midst of his disability. I mean, I can't imagine what it's like to not be able to hear the, my, you know, the words coming out of my mouth, especially for a guy like John, because what John does is every week he speaks to 3,000 people. He's a preacher. He's a communicator. And he preaches, and he can't even hear the words that are coming out of his mouth. See, from a, from a young boy, John has had to learn to trust in Jesus. And that dependency has become a daily part of his routine. None of us can know what it's like to depend on God in that way. But, but John has learned how to do that. He's learned how to understand, you know what, when I get up there and preach and I can't hear what's coming out of my mouth, I've got to depend on Jesus for strength. In the same way, you and I, when we are confronted with our weaknesses, it's an opportunity to learn to depend on Jesus. So when the lustful thoughts come into our mind, it's an opportunity to say, I'm going to trust Christ to give me pure thoughts. When I'm stuck in anxiety and depression and I'm living in this cloud and I can't feel anything, I'm going to trust and believe that when Jesus says, he will never leave me nor forsake me, that's true, no matter what I feel. And that when I'm experiencing suffering and pain, that he, Christ, walks with me in that because his word says it's true. Because what God wants to do is he takes my weakness and he shows me strength because weak is the new strong. Amen? Amen. If you want that kind of strength, you've got to do what John did. You've got to do what Paul did. It says here that, therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's what? Power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, guys, they're leaning into Jesus in those times of great weakness. Because the thing about Christianity, the thing about the gospel, is it's all about God transforming our weakness into what? Strength. That's what God does. And the greatest example is that we see this on the cross. On the cross, we saw the great weakness of Christ, but that weakness was transformed into strength. Amen? Because, because do you understand that our salvation comes through weakness? Do you understand that Jesus came to our earth, the all-powerful king of the universe came to earth as a fragile baby? 
He came to this planet as, as a baby. He lived in human frailty. He lived in poverty. He was accused uh, as, a, as a criminal and killed as one. But it's through the death on the cross that we saw the power of God on Easter where Christ rose from the dead. And in that resurrection power, we see weakness transformed into strength. Amen? Amen. In fact, Hebrews says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are and yet without sin. you got to hear this. Jesus knows what you're what it's like to experience your weakness. Jesus was tempted in every way that you were tempted. He experienced everything that you experienced. You know, earlier we asked the question, you know, what if I had a magic Harry Potter wand, right? And could just zap all of my weaknesses and they just disappeared. How great would that be, right? That one thought, uh, that one habit, that, that pain. Man, if it was gone, it'd be great. It'd be, it'd be amazing. But how much encouragement do you have knowing those are the very things that Jesus knows what it's like? Jesus knows what it's like to struggle with lust. Jesus knows what it's like to struggle in pain. Jesus knows what it's like to wrestle with anxiety and depression. He experienced all of those things, yet without sin, he knows what that's like. Jesus was tempted in every single way that you were. But yet, he gives you a new label, and that label is that you are strong. You are strong. When you lean into your weaknesses to trust in Christ's power, you are strong. And Jesus is the ultimate label maker. The label he places on you lasts forever. And because Jesus is this great high priest, one in whom we can trust, we know that we can trust in him moment by moment. So when you're in a meeting or you're at Starbucks, and those lustful thoughts come after you again. And the enemy whispers, why don't you go ahead and take another look? You can say, Satan, in Christ I am strong. Your words, your temptation has no power over me because I can turn to my Heavenly Father and say, Jesus, would you give me strength to resist these temptations? I take these thoughts captive in you because you have given me power. The enemy says I'm weak, but your word says I'm strong. Or when you're in those moments, when you're struggling with anxiety and depression, you're like, I, I don't sense God. I don't know where he is. It just seems dark. And the enemy kind of comes at you and says, what's wrong with you? What did you do wrong? You know what God says? In me, you're strong. You may not feel me, but I am with you. I am holding you up. I am upholding you. You are what? Strong in your weakness. And for some of us, when the enemy whispers to us and says, <laughs> you're useless. What's wrong with you? You're a failure. We can say, Jesus has said that I am worthy in him. Jesus says that, that I am beloved by him and I have a relationship with him. And so Satan, your power over me is broken because weak is the new strong. That's the label that Jesus gives us today. We are strong in Christ. That is who he made us to be. Weak is the new strong. Because folks, you got to understand that this is a battle, right? This is a battle that we're fighting. The enemy is coming after us, and he's lying to us, and he's putting these labels on us. But at the end of the day, what God wants to do is say, tear off those old labels. Amen? Amen. Tear off those old labels. They have no power over you because weak is the new strong. That's how God sees you. He sees you as powerful in him. And when you admit and come to Christ with your weaknesses and say, God, here are my weaknesses, here are my struggles, here are my vulnerabilities, he will make you strong. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? We'll pray and ask the Lord to fill us with his strength and with his power to move forward.
Father God, we thank you because this is what you label us. You label us as strong. The world cannot label us as weak. The world cannot label us as our weaknesses or as faults, but they label us now as how the Holy Spirit sees us, as strong in you. And so, Father, would you fill us in our moments of weakness? God, would you fill us in our moments of struggle? God, would you fill us in our moments where we can't see you, but we can know by your power and your strength that you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.